Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading this morning is from Judges 4, 1 through 21, and that's page 191 through 192 in your pew Bible. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, the commander of his army with Sisera, who lived in Haroshahagroan. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lepodoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinanam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you, Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went behind him, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the other Kenites, that is, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had encamped as far as Elon Bezaananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Aboam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the troops who were with him, from Haroshahagoam to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, up! For this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. The Lord is indeed going out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following him. And the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and all his army into a panic before Barak. Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. While Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Haroshahagoim, all the army of Sisera fell by the sword, and no one was left. Now Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between King Jabin of Hazor and the clan of Heber the Kenite. 
Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, have no fear. So he turned aside to her in the tent, and she covered him with a rug. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. He said to her, Stand at the entrance of the tent, and if anybody comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say, No. But Jael, wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. He was lying fast asleep from weariness, and he died. The word of the Lord. So how'd you like that scripture reading? Yeah, during the 40 days of Lent, we're walking through the seldom attended stories in the book of Judges. Uh, You know, last week, any number of you came up to me after the sermon and said, I had no idea that story was even in the Bible. We're looking at some of those. Mostly we know about Judges, we know about Samson because his story is in that illustrated uh, Bible, that big blue one that's in all the pediatric waiting rooms, right? That's the only one we know. Are those still in the pediatric waiting rooms? All right. And then mostly that's the only story we know out of Judges. So we're looking at some of those stories in, in part because they are unfamiliar and deserve our attention. But also I mentioned last week that it also, this book suits our Lenten theme because of the focus on the cost of our rebellion and betrayal and the recognition that veering from God's will has consequences. Last week was the story of Ehud and the fat king. And you might remember that that week's story began with this line. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Today's story starts this way. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Familiar? And today's story is rather graphic too. So when we get toward the end... If you've got a four-year-old with you, you might want to close their ears. It's another one of those. These stories full of violence raise questions about how and why they ended up in our Bible. I can't be sure. What I do know is that this sacred book has power. So as I retell the story, I want to invite you to enter into it with your most outrageous and holy imagination. You may see things you didn't expect. You might hear whispers of God's call you did not anticipate. You might encounter some truth of God's provision, the way God continues to come through for God's people that reminds you in your current circumstance that God continues to come through for God's people. But I want you to walk around in the story with me, looking for clues about what God is up to in the world. But more importantly, listening for God's claim on you in this story. So, here we go. The Israelites again 
did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And like last week's story, this this betrayal is punished by a season of rule by an oppressive king. Our betrayal has consequences. Even the slights and sins that we might think we have escaped, our rebellion over time just layers and layers And it just creates a real mess. And the further we get away from God's intention, God's hope and design for our lives, the betrayal starts getting easier. Eventually, there are hard and real consequences. And this time, it's not an 18-year oppression. This time, it's a 20-year time period where the Israelites suffer this oppressive external rule. And this time, it's the Canaanites who assume control of the central and northern parts of Palestine and subject the Israelites to two decades of cruelty. And again, like last week's story, the Israelites cry out to God. God hears their cry. God raises up a judge to deliver. I don't think the author of Judges wants us to miss the unmistakable theme that God hears our sincere cries for help and God responds to our pain. Now, I mentioned last week that when we think about the judges in this book, we, we should think tribal chieftain, right? Uh, warrior leaders more than our image of judge. These are not folks in black robes with gavels. But Deborah happens to be the one exception to that rule. She is the only judge in Judges who judges. Her role is she sits under the palm tree that's situated between Ramah and Bethel, and the Israelites line up to have their cases heard and judgment dispensed. And one day she sends for somebody in particular a military man by the name of Barak. And when he arrives, she tells him that God has spoken to her about his role in the deliverance of Israel. She says, go to the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun and recruit 10,000 soldiers and take position at Mount Tabor. I will draw out the army of King Jabin and you will defeat our oppressors at the Wadi Kishon. But see, this is not such an easy call. Because this is in the early days of a cultural shift from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age. And King Jaban's army general, Sisera, has access to new war technology. He has 900 chariots of iron. The recruited Barak makes an odd declaration to Deborah. He says, okay, I'll go, but only if you go with me. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. Now, what does this mean? It, it, can, be, it can go one of two ways, right? Either it's a cowardly statement of fear that, that speaks of his mistrust of God's provision, or it's a generous invitation affirming Deborah's uh, divine appointed position, 
her importance, asking her to bless this military campaign by coming with him. We don't know the motivation. And neither do we know the motivation of her response. She says, I surely will go with you. Is she saying, of course I'll go. This is God's battle. I'm God's prophetess. Thanks, of course I'll go. Or is she saying, all right, I'll go. But wow, does this show your distrust in God. It's hard to tell. But then she says, the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And since she's the only woman who's been mentioned, and since we now know that she's going to battle with him, we can only assume she's going to be the one to do in the army general of the opposing army. But wait. So Deborah, Barak, the 10,000 soldiers, they head up to Kadesh. And then the story has a little sidebar. We're introduced to a new character. There's a guy named Heber. He's not a Canaanite. He's not an Israelite. But he's up camping nearby. It's going to matter later in the story. Well, it's hard to move 10,000 men quietly. Sisera, the general of the Canaanite army, of course, gets word that Barak and his army have gone up Mount Tabor. He knows that there's a battle brewing. So he calls out all 900 of his iron chariots, prepares for the showdown. The time comes. Deborah tells Barak, this is the day the Lord is going out before you. And Barak gathers his army. And he and all 10,000 of them thunder down Mount Tabor. The warriors are all behind him in battle. The battle ensues. The swords clank. And the Lord does deliver victory to the Israelites. And in all of that melee, in the middle of the battle, Sisera sees people falling left and right. His army's going down. And he jumps out of his chariot and he scampers away. He runs to hide in safety. And all of the Canaanites are killed except Sisera, who has escaped fled. And he comes to the warmth of an encampment, an encampment of Heber and his family that we learned about earlier. The Near East has long been governed by rules of hospitality. When a traveling stranger comes your way, you welcome him. But there are also rules that the guest is to follow too. And Sisera breaks a bunch of them. First, he shows up at Jael's tent rather than her husband's tent. That's bad form. That's not good for anybody's reputation, you understand? He asked her for water when the rules of hospitality demand you don't ever ask your host or hostess for something. You wait till it's offered to you. But he asked. You see, then 
He asked another favor, which he's not supposed to do. He asked her to lie for him if it's necessary. Stand at the entrance to the tent, and if anyone comes and asks if anyone's here, tell them no. Well, you see, Jael would be rightly nervous, right? A warrior who boldly and inappropriately comes to her tent asking what he wants might not be somebody who would be trusted through the night. Do you follow? Her self-protective spidey senses are going off. And so when he asks for water, she instead gives him some milk to help him sleep. Then in a very maternal way, she covers him up with blankets and waits till he falls into a deep, deep sleep. And then she tiptoes and pulls a tent stake out of the ground. She takes a hammer, goes over to him while he's asleep, and drives the thing through his temple all the way into the ground. The end. Now what? Certainly the moral of this story is not go and do likewise. (laughs) Deborah told Barak that God would deliver the warrior Sisera into the hands of a woman, but we didn't see this coming, right? We might also be surprised that she's not an Israelite woman. Catch the players again in this drama, in this short story. God has called a woman as prophetess. Deborah is one of only nine mentioned in the whole Bible. God has called a female judge over Israel. And in the 450-year period of the judges, she is the only female called. God calls Barak to lead the troops, and he is at best hesitant. He might even be cowardly. And he calls Jael to end the life of Sisera in his 20-year oppression. And this woman is a foreigner who is outside of the Jewish faith tradition. In two months, May the 19th, I will have been an ordained Baptist minister for 39 years. Can you believe it? As young as I look, 39 years. Nearly four decades of Baptist ministry. And I can't tell you how much pain and vile has been dispensed arguing about who can and cannot be called to God's purposes and God's service. Our narrow theologies arguing against God's generous call In this one story, 
God uses a female judge, a possible coward, and a foreign Kenite woman as actors in God's redemptive drama. We enter shaky territory when we declare who God can and cannot call. Now we are, of course, all of us called to roll up our sleeves and play some role in bringing the kingdom of God to bear in our families, in our city, in our businesses. But some people are called out for special roles of leadership in God's redemptive story. People like Deborah, maybe someone like you. Last week, we talked about that story containing one of the grand themes of the biblical narrative. That theme is that God punishes our betrayal, but God holds back, always offering a second chance and a new start. Well, today we encounter another grand theme in the biblical story that God calls the most unlikely and most unsuspecting people to play key roles in God's plan to redeem the world through love. If you feel any inkling of God's claim on you, any possible sense of call on your life, any of our ministers would be honored to have that conversation talk through what that might look like, of course we would. But whatever you do, don't talk yourself into believing you don't qualify. Broken and unlikely people are the only ones who qualify. God has no limits. Thanks be to God. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.